welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. You have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Um, if not, it'll be on the screen, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are enjoying Mark, walking through Mark, and um, i got a new mic, so this is a little different. It's catching my voice weird. But uh, anyway, um, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Let's start there. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Then he, Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're going to stop right there. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that every single word is impactful, every sentence is important. Thank you for this beautiful story that you've given to us about the heart, your heart, the heart of your Son, and the Spirit that you've sent into the world. Lord, let us receive this, do your work today, that even as we share your word, that you would transform hearts and minds, because your word is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between all kinds of stuff, getting right to the heart of the matter. So do it, Lord. Do it, do it today. My words aren't powerful. Your word's powerful. May your word be seen and, and, and felt and heard and realized and understood and received through faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, man, this is a story about... Um, Matthew, many of you know him as Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Levi, um, believed to be the same guy. Um, And this is a story about Jesus calling Matthew to be his disciple. Jesus walks up to the tax collection booth. Uh, I don't know if if anybody's seen The Chosen. You've seen the episode with Matthew and The Chosen. It's a great, great, great episode. I love that. Um, The person of Matthew in The Chosen is a pretty good characterization, I guess, of of probably what kind of person Matthew would have been. Um, so now it's a little hard whenever you, you see The Chosen, you see the movie, then it's kind of like when you see the movie, then you read the book. It's hard, it's hard, to, <laughs> it's hard to get that, that image of, of the, the movie out of your mind. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that, I don't think it's a bad image, of an image of, of Matthew. Uh, but what stuck out to me is as I'm preaching through Mark, verse by verse, just walking through it, It's interesting to me about what preceded this passage. And this is something that we're going to see, I think, as we move forward. We haven't seen it much yet, but we're going to see this pretty frequently in the Gospel of Mark, in that Mark will share a teaching. He will share a lesson. He will share some truth with you, some revelation, and then he will show the teaching to you. He'll share it first, and then he'll show it. So in the previous verses, which we preached on last week, I preached on a, on a message which was just a great message. If you missed it, I'm sorry, you missed it. And you can get online and listen to it, but anyway, it was, it was yeah, it was, it, was, it was impactful to me. I personally am getting so much out of walking through Mark. I don't know if you guys are getting anything out of it, but I'm getting a lot out of it because I've read this a thousand times, but for some reason when I pick it up and I say, Lord, what are you speaking to us right here and right now? I just, he just is so faithful to bring out fresh and new revelation. And so last week I talked about how Jesus has power over our past, right? And uh, how you can have power over your past, 
how Jesus wants to separate you or divorce you. I love that word in that context. Divorce you from your past, from who you have been. That Jesus has the power to do that. And we see that in the story. Because last week's story was a, a famous story of four men who brought their friend to Jesus. He's on a stretcher or he's on a mat and they bring him. He's paralyzed. They tear up the roof and lower the mat down to where Jesus is. Jesus sees their faith and he forgives the man's sins. And everybody's like, well, that's weird. I thought you were going to heal him. And uh, the Pharisees say, wow, I don't think he's allowed to do that. I don't think he actually forgave that man's sins, right? Because you can't see when sins are forgiven. So they had this doubt. They said, he's not able. He doesn't have authority. He doesn't have power to do that. And Jesus said, well, in order to prove to you that I did in fact do what I just said that I did, let me do something that you can see. And he says, all right, Mr. Paralyzed Man, stand up, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man did it. And everybody was amazed because they were amazed, not because that he healed the paralyzed man, but because he actually did have power to forgive sins. And that's the whole point of that passage, that, that he has power. And that word forgive means to separate you from your sin. Like he has power to divorce you from your past. And I just, I just love that. So if you're here today and you do not like who you've been, I got good news for you. There is a, there is a divorce attorney named Jesus who can, who can divorce you, who can cancel the, the covenant that you've made with your old self. And he can create for you a brand new future. And that's a beautiful truth. And it's a beautiful truth within that story. Jesus is teaching, remember. He's teaching in the house when they tear up the roof. And so he doesn't stop teaching. He just uses the man as an illustration of his sermon. So let me show you guys how this works. I remove sin from you. And they're like, no, you didn't. He said, no, seriously, watch this. Now stuff you couldn't do, now you can do. You couldn't need the thing that was carrying you, now you're carrying it. The, the, the other people had to bring you, but now you're able to help other people. Like, look, let me just show you what I'm talking about. So he, he, he shares truth with us, and then he shows us. And usually in Mark's gospel, after that moment of sharing, there will be an extended, another story that really brings this truth home. And people, as they're reading this in ancient Rome, would say, oh yeah, that's how it works. And so... That's what the story is. That's what the story of Matthew is. This is, I believe, an illustration because it's kind of weird, right? Because Mark has a chance. Peter is probably narrating to him, but Peter and Mark have a chance to share anything they want about Jesus's life on earth. They skip over so much, by the way. <laughs> they skip over so much. But what they include is interesting. They're like, yeah, there was this, this man who was brought to Jesus on a stretcher, but this is the key. Jesus said that he had authority to remove sins from people. Wow, okay. And then he goes right into the story about a guy named Levi who's at a tax office who is recruited by Jesus. And I believe he is giving us a picture of what repentance looks like. So that's really the title of my message. It's not slick, it's not fancy, but it's just what repentance looks like. Re what repentance looks like. Because in the previous verse, we said that Jesus has power to remove us from our sin. But do we really recognize repentance? Do we really know what to look for? Do we really know what repentance looks like in a life? And I believe that this story is given to us by Mark as a illustration of, hey, when Jesus has removed your sins, this is how it happens, and then this is what happens after. Okay? So, so the, the, the good news about this story is this is meant to be read by people who have not had their sins removed from them yet. So if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't even know if I'm ready to. Okay, this is meant for you. This story is written for people who did not know that Jesus had the power to do that. Who had been struggling all their life in their own effort, maybe even through religion, in their own path, trying to do what is right, working all their life. And then, and then this story is meant to show you a different way, a way of repentance. Okay, so, 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 so the story, it, it, it's interesting, it starts, right, with Jesus Jesus coming to Matthew's tax office. So this is, this is really the start of the gospel. This right here, this is the beginning. Jesus said in John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you. 
right? So, so you didn't, you don't, like, this is how repentance works. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, today I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to do what is right. That's not how it works. <laughs> Any time that we make a step toward God, it's because he has first made a step toward us. He shows up at our booth, at our tax booth. By the way, tax collectors were not good people. I don't know if you figured it out by the story, but they're, they're lumped in there with sinners. And you say, well, aren't we all kind of sinners? Don't we all deal with sin? Well, yes, but these guys are called sinners because they do not obey the law of Moses to have their sins forgiven. Okay? So the only people like in Scripture that are called sinners are the ones who habitually do it on their own, and they say, I'm not going to take the method that God has given me to get right with him. So they are not going to the temple. They are not offering sacrifices for their sins. Instead, they are enjoying their sinful life, and they're just going for it. Right? That's what it means. It, when, when it says that he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, he's eating with people who are openly against God, who are openly, they, 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 they're, they're, they're Jewish people probably, but they just don't care about the law of God, about the commandments of God, about, the, the, about heaven and hell. They just don't care. They're living for today. And, 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 and the, the tax collectors are lumped in with these people. However, they are not necessarily like these people. The tax collectors very well may have gone to the temple and offered sacrifices for their sins. Very well may have gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath to hear the teaching from the priests. Very well may have done the things which every good Jew should do. But they're lumped in with sinners. Why? Because of what their job is. And I know, like most of us say, well, you know, you should never be condemned for your job. But, you know, if your job is like trafficking people from Mexico to the U.S., that's a bad job. You should quit. Just FYI, you're watching, watching from home. Quit your job right now because it's a bad job. You're doing bad things to people, right? If your job is a hitman for the mafia in Chicago, you quit your job. That's a bad job. So while we like to believe that we're pretty, you know, merciful to people, oh, it's just their job, you know. Well, there's some jobs you just need to quit because they're sketchy, <laughs> you're doing bad things, and you're honestly, you're just doing it for the money, so stop it. You know, it's classic greed, you know. So I, like, there's just some jobs that are not good, all right? And, 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 and a tax collector kind of is on the verge of that kind of ultra sketchy job. Because a tax collector, it's not like the IRS agents today, okay? So if you work at the IRS, I'm not talking about you. Because today we have IRS workers who, you know, who process paperwork, who try to, who try to collect taxes um, from citizens, who elected officials to tax them, right? It's a very different situation. The tax collector in Jesus' day was really a hired mercenary by the Roman government to extract money that the Roman government said that you had. Sometimes you didn't have it, but the Roman government said that they thought you had it. Now, this is before, you know, social security numbers and all of that kind of thing. They couldn't really track you very well. So they just, you know, they, 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 they hired locals. Right? The Roman government would hire Jewish people to tax Jewish people because Jewish people knew other Jewish people. So instead of spending 10 years in litigation trying to figure out who owns that farm and who lives there and yada yada, they'll hire local people who are like, oh, I know who lives there. Right? I know the, their, their parents. I know their genealogy. I know, I, like, I'm, I grew up around here. And so they would hire those people to get taxes. And you say, okay, well, so he's a tax collector. So he sits there and he, he demands money. Well, he doesn't just sit there. They would, they would also send Roman uh, squads out to the farms if people didn't pay. And they would take, you know, people out, drag people out, out of their homes into slave labor camps if they couldn't pay. They would take women and sell them at auction if they couldn't pay. So <laughs> Matthew was not a good guy. Is what I'm saying. Now you say, well, it's just because of his job. Well, yes, a job he chose to do. He could have gone fishing with Pete and, and James and John. He could, he could figure out, you could figure out a different way of living. You don't have to join, you know, the, 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 the devil. 
the empire. <laughs> you don't have to be a stormtrooper. Come on, you can, you can do other things. Like, you don't have to, like, like you can, like, no, but this is who Matthew is. Matthew is a traitor in the eyes of the Jewish people. Because he's turning in all of his friends, all the family, all the birthday parties that he went to. He's telling the Roman government who they are, how much money they make, roughly how much they own, all that kind of stuff. And the Roman government then is quite brutal. I mean, they're feeding people the lions for the fun of it. So the Roman government is a brutal regime. And, and these guys, like, it's like joining the Gestapo. It's like, you know what? Okay, it's just my job. Yeah, you're carting off people in trains to, to labor camps. That's not just a job. That's evil. And this is where Matthew is. And I don't know that the chosen portrays quite how evil Matthew would have been perceived. And probably was. And he's pretty wealthy too. Because the Roman government paid good money to people that were willing to do dirty work. And it was a dirty job. It was, a, it, was, it, was, it was quite an awful job. It wasn't just about the money. It was about oppression. And the Roman government knew that. The Roman government didn't have to tax these people. <laughs> but they did to remind them who's in charge. Roman government didn't, didn't have to send these, put these people into jail, but they did to remind them who's... They didn't have to crucify people, but they did to remind them who's in charge. Right? So, 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 so Matthew is a part of that, which is why uh, Mark even labels him as tax collectors and sinners. He lumps those people together. People who don't want anything to do with God and tax collectors, they're both seen as, okay, fine, tax collectors are doing the religious things, but wow, all this stuff they're doing on the side... You know, it's not good. I mean, they may go to mass every Sunday, but he's also a mob, a mob boss. Super sketchy. <laughs> and, and, and Matthew's that kind of character. And so this is why it's so shocking when Jesus shows up at Matthew's booth. This is why it's so shocking when Jesus says to a tax collector, you, come follow me. This is the first kind of rich guy that Jesus asks to follow him. This is, this is difficult, I think, for, for us as well because, you know, we're, we often see Jesus as a champion for the poor. But here he is knocking on the door of somebody who's connected and wealthy. Yeah, not liked by anybody uh, of the Jewish community, but definitely in good with the bad guys, with the Romans, with the empire. And, and he goes and invites a stormtrooper. I don't know why that picture keeps coming back to my mind, but he comes and invites a stormtrooper to follow him. Those of you that don't know Star Wars, you're totally lost. But, he, you know, he's like, Kylo Ren, like, come be my disciple. This is great. Like, I'm sure it'll work out. Like, like he's, he's inviting Matthew, who is, who is a known bad person, to come follow him. And this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus just preached about. He said, don't you know the power, don't you know the Son of Man has power to remove sins from people? And you say, yes, I'm sure he does of little old ladies who just want to know him more. I'm sure he has power to help the paralyzed man who honestly doesn't have any other options. I'm sure he has power to help those, those penitent sinners who are humble, who are, who, are, who, are, who are feeling bad for the stuff they've done, which is why I think the chosen kind of paints Matthew as the guy who kind of feels bad, but he doesn't, he kind of wants to, hey, because he's conflicted, because those are the kind of people we think that Jesus probably has power to remove sin from. But the scripture doesn't actually say anything about that. It just says that Jesus showed up at Matthew's booth and said, hey, I want you to come follow me. I have chosen you. And that choosing has power. And so this ought to give us great hope that if God can save Kylo Ren, come on somebody. Some of you need to brush up on your, on, your, on your Star Wars. You guys really need to work on your Star Wars a little bit. If God can save, if God can save Matthew, he can save anybody. If God has power, if Jesus has power to remove and divorce an old lifestyle as entrenched as Matthew's was, Right? If he has power to create that kind of separation, wow, does he have power for anything that you've been entrenched in? 
Man, does he have power for anything that you have attached yourself to. Man, is he good, and man, is he worth it. Because what I find as a pastor is it's often hard, people who are winning, people who seem to be winning, they're, they're getting the friends, they're getting the money, it seems like their way of sin is working for them. It's so hard to walk up to their booth and say, hey, why don't you go follow Jesus? Because most of them are like, no, I'm good. I got all the friends that I need. I have all the connections I need. I'm not looking for friendship. I'm not looking for connection. I got it. I got these guys over here, these Roman folks. They think I'm pretty great. They're paying me well. I don't need more blessings. I'm good. But this is fascinating to me that, that, that Matthew would leave all of that. You know, that he would leave. It's not fascinating to me that, that, that Simon and, 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 and his brother would leave the fishing job. Because who wants to go fishing for the rest of your life, right? It's a tough job, man. Those, those nets weigh a couple hundred pounds each. You're throwing those things out every... I mean, who wants to do that for the rest of their life? Sure. Jesus calls some truckers to him, and he's like, hey, come follow me. Like in our modern context, that's the fishermen. It's like the truckers. Well, okay, it's kind of a tough job. Long, long nights on the road. Maybe this will be better, right? It's not like... It's, not, it's a little more surprising that James and John followed him because his their dad was in the boat with him, which means they probably owned the boat, which means they probably had a little bit of cash coming in. So it's like, okay, well, they're giving up something, okay. But now he goes to Matthew, who's well-connected, has everything the world says that you want. And he says, I want you to follow me. And that to me is real power. The real power of Jesus is that he can come to Matthew or that he can come to uh, an American who has everything that this world wants, who has everything that this world is after, who literally has, they can upward mobility, they have health care, they have an income, they have a cell phone, they, uh, us, that God can come to us and say, come follow me. And we, some of us actually walk away from a life of sin that was paying well. I remember when we first started City Chapel, one of the first, I think it was the first person to join our church from Austin uh, was this young girl that found us on Craigslist. We put an ad on Craigslist for if you wanted to come uh, help us start a church. We couldn't pay you anything, but we would give you hugs. That was basically it, you know. It's just, just, just love. That's all we got. And she was looking to get hired by a church because at the time she was dancing in a local, a local bar up here, and um, and she was feeling like she needed to to do something better with her life and get closer to God. And the last time she was happy was near Houston somewhere where she grew up and she was a part of a ministry there, a children's ministry. And so she Googled uh, like a Craigslist search. This is back seven years ago. She searched like Craigslist for a job on, on helping with kids. And so she emailed me. And so we met, Ro, Ro and I met her at a Starbucks and we shared with her the vision of the church. And she said, yeah, that's really what I want to do. And we said, well, we definitely think there's some jobs you just need to quit. Dancing is one of them, ladies. Uh, let, me just, let me just tell you, strip jobs, those are not good jobs for you, okay? I don't know if we need to say that in church, but it's just, it's just oh, I only got to pay the bills. Well, you can pay the bills other ways, okay? And, and what we saw, what we saw is this, this Je Jessica was her name. Jessica walked away from that life, and it was paying good. And suddenly, she, She's, she's not getting paid good. And she was couch surfing on her friend's couches. And she was just doing everything. She's taking up these little jobs here and there and yada, yada. And we saw God provide for her. But most of all, we saw the divorce between her old life and what Jesus had for her. And trust me, what Jesus has for you is so much better. Because you can be at the tax office. And you can have everything the world says that you need. But your heart can still be empty. You can have the cash, but not the fulfillment. And so what we saw, and I think what Matthew saw, is that there's something even greater in following Jesus than what I have been able to make for myself over here. And so this is the beginning of repentance. Jesus comes to us. That's number one. Number two is we leave where we are to follow him. We give up. And, and specifically, I think it's important that, that, that Matthew was giving up money. He was giving up money. This really speaks to us Americans. He was walking away from money. I mean, connections that brought in money. And this is why, man, if, 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 you, if you're trying to repent, if you're trying to go after God, but you're not, 
giving him your money. <laughs> I'll just say that you're not, it's going to be hard for you to divorce your old life as long as you are still in charge of your money. You say, well, how do I not become in charge of my money? Well, here's the deal. Look at his word and where his word talks about tithing and study it and Google it and read scriptures about tithing. 10% off the top, no matter how much or how little I bring in any given month. That tells me that he's in charge of my money because no matter what I bring in, I'm not figuring it out based on what I have left. I am putting him at the number one spot and I'll let Verizon get what's left. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I might have to switch to T-Mobile soon, but I'll let for T-Mobile, like whatever. I don't know. I can make a, I can, I can compromise in other areas. I can compromise in what I drive, the size of my house. I'm willing to compromise on how often I buy clothes. I'm willing to compromise on my shoe budget. I'm willing to compromise my coffee budget. Come on, Starbucks is not, I'm not, is not in charge of my budget. I'm willing to compromise on my groceries, right? We're, we, were all, we were all organic. Now we're kind of like half and half. We might have to go a little bit further on the nasty side of stuff. I don't know. I'm willing to compromise all of that, but I'm not willing to compromise 10% off the top to God. That's not negotiable. Why? Because he's in charge. And so I've chosen to walk away from an extra however many hundreds of dollars a month I've chosen to leave that and to walk away from it. And does it do good things? Sure, it helps the Karen. It helps supply uh, uh, salaries and, and, and pay for different, all kinds of ministry, and that's wonderful. But even if it didn't, even if, even if it all just got flushed down the toilet, even if God asked me to take my tithe and just put it in the toilet and put it flush, I would do that because, honestly, it's just for him, not for any particular church or ministry or pastor. I'm not even doing it for me. Now you're doing it so that I'll get blessed and he'll get, he'll help me out. You, you can't outgive God. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. But he's already given everything he's going to give. So, you know, you, can, you might not get anything back. <laughs> right. But on top of it, man, Matthew says, I found something much more valuable than this money. I have found a walk with, with that guy. That guy is real. And if you read the gospel of Matthew, which was written by Matthew, you're going to find time and time and time and time again that the truth of who Jesus was was so important to Matthew, so much more important than the connections and the money that he had made. He had found truth, and that's so much better. He'd been dealing with falsehood, people who were fake to him, and he was fake to them. All his life he'd been dealing and he learned how to work it to his advantage, what he thought was his advantage, but really it was his prison. He was in prison in that box. He was in prison in that mansion. He was in prison in that account. That held him. He didn't hold it. It had power over him. It made him do things he didn't want to do. It made him be somebody he didn't want to be. It was his boss. It was his Lord. And he saw in Jesus, perhaps he does have the power to separate me from this. Perhaps he does. And so the first step is to leave it. And that's the thing that we do. We walk away from the booth. We walk away from cash. We walk away from connections. We walk away from, from people thinking well of us. Because sometimes when we follow Jesus, some people aren't happy about that and they don't understand it. And Matthew walks away from his old friends. Right? He, 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 he leaves the booth. He leaves, the, he leaves his employers, people that are there. But then, secondly, he invites his old friends along with him. He throws a party. This, this story is actually uh, told in three different Gospels, in Matthew's Gospel, in Mark's Gospel, and in Luke's Gospel. And all three are almost verbatim. Uh, one of them includes a little detail. Mark just says later on they were eating at Levi's house and tax collectors and sinners were there, right? And they followed him. In other words, Levi or Matthew brought his friends along and said, let me introduce you to Jesus. And from a meal with Jesus, they also decided to leave their tax collector booths 
They also quit their sketchy jobs. They also decided to prioritize Jesus. They followed him. And so this is really key. This is a part of repentance is going public with your faith. It's a part of repentance. And going public with your faith is not necessarily baptism. That's a whole other thing. Going public with your faith happens on social media. Going public with your faith happens at the office. Going public with your faith happens uh, it, at, in your classroom. Going public with your faith happens at the restaurant, happens at, at Walmart. Like going public with your faith is really, I mean, it's, what Matthew was doing was he was, he was ending the lack of integrity in his life. Because all of his life he had his Jewishness, and that was over here, and his Jewish friends were over here, and he had his Romanness, I don't think that's a word, but whatever, his Romanness was over here. He had friends who understood that side, and he had friends who understood this side, but he never married those two, because they never made sense. Because he himself was conflicted. But now that he's walking away from his Romanness and his Jewishness, and he is instead accepting his chosenness from Jesus, he's inviting everyone to come out of their Romanness and come out of their Jewishness and come under a chosenness, a friendship with Jesus. So he throws a party. <laughs> He throws a party, invites all of his friends, including some religious leaders, apparently. Oh, because those guys are always in on the deals, too, you know. <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know. They're, they're not, not, not publicly, but under the table, they're getting something, too. Because that's always the next question. It's like, they're, they're complaining about Jesus eating with these folks, and it's like, how come you're there? <laughs> how, like, who do you know? How did you get invited? So the difference between, so, so it's, not that, it's not that the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't hang out with sinners. It's that they hung out with them for the wrong reasons. <laughs> they hung out, yeah, in, yeah, in private. Whenever they hung out with sinners, they were looking to get something from them. When Jesus hung out with sinners, he was looking to give something to them. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. To call. That word call is kaleo. It means, uh, one of the definitions of it is to invite. I have come to extend an invitation to sinners. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he invites sinners. I'm, I'm thankful he, he doesn't just wait for only righteous people. He invites sinners. Man, from till, till the day you die, you ought to be excited that you got invited. Come on, somebody, that rhymes. Put that on a bumper sticker. You ought to be excited that you got... Gratitude eat, seeps away when we stop being excited that we got invited. And the religious leaders are not excited that they got invited. They're wondering how come these other folks are sitting here. And this is what happens even in religious churches. We stop being excited that we got invited and we start wondering how did they get in. Are they good enough? I don't know. I don't really agree with the way they talk to me. And I don't really like how they did. And we start judging other people because we lose the enthusiasm for the fact that we were invited. We lose the gratefulness that we have got in. Like we begin to start to think that maybe we sort of deserved it. Because back in 1985, I, I quit my smoking and I turned to Jesus. Well, good for you. But, 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 but have, you rem have, you, have you forgotten the joy of what it felt like that when you quit whatever you quit, when you walked away from your booth, the joy of what it felt like that Jesus accepted you, that Jesus called you, that he invited you. He didn't wait for you to get well. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we ever lose that enthusiasm, Matthew's just excited. He's just excited. He got invited and he's like, hey guys, you all can get invited too. How would you come along with me? But the religious leaders have long since left their excitement. They've long since forgotten the joy of being chosen, the only chosen nation in the entire world. The apple of his eye is what God, Jehovah, calls them, and they forgot it. But man, when we 
Stay excited. This is why, man, I, another reason why communion is so important because we constantly must remind ourselves this is what my sin cost God. That he died for me. That he was brutally murdered for me. That he laid down his life for me. And yeah, uh, to Rocky's point, I've had people say, well, it was only three days, well, this and well, that. And I'm like, well, if it's no big deal, how about we try it on you? I got some spare nails. We got, we got a drill. I don't have a hammer. I got a drill, some pretty good size. Let's, let's try it out. Let's just try it out. See if it's only... This. No, Scripture says rarely will somebody die even for a good man. But how about for the ones who are crucifying you and spitting in your face? Would you lay down your life for them? And the truth is none of us would because none of us are like Jesus. But Jesus laid down, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And I'm going to stay excited about that. I'm going to stay happy about that. I'm going to stay thrilled that I got invited. Man, what did I do to get in? <laughs> Nothing. But yet the blood of Jesus... And welcomes me in. And so this is the, this, this is the second step, is that we, we, we must go public with our faith. We must bring others into this. And then really the third, my, my, my third point is that you see repentance when you see an identity shift. This is, this is, this is when we begin to see identity, when you talk about yourself differently. It's always telling how you talk about yourself. It's always telling what you believe about yourself based on how you address yourself and how you talk about yourself. And real repentance will change the way that you think about you. And we see this in the Gospels. So if, like I said, the story is in three different Gospels, which to me is, is like proof positive that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. People question the Bible. And here are three different scrolls, three different books, written by three different authors in three different geographical locations across three different time periods, some of it overlapping, but different time periods. And when they write about this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they write about the story, it's almost verbatim the exact same. I mean, literally, the details are the Jesus' response Word for word, except Matthew adds a quote from the Old Testament because he's always doing that. But anyway, it's, it's almost word for word. Now, how, does that, how is that humanly possible? How do humans across three different ge geographical locations before the internet, before cell phones, how do they all collaborate and share the exact same story? Even today, if I were to ask three of you what I preached on so far, <laughs> we get three totally different versions. If I ask you, like, what happened in the Cowboys game last week, we get three different versions. Like, three people can't see the same thing and come away with the same story about anything. So to me, this is proof positive, man, that this is the Holy Spirit inspiring people to actually write literal sentences. Because it's so precise. And then... There is one big difference, though. You read Matthew's version. It's different from Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke say what I just read just a minute ago, where it says that there was a, Jesus went by um, the booth and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, in Matthew's version, it says he saw Matthew. And so this is one of those things that as a kid, like you read through the Bible. Anyway, when I was a kid, I was reading through this. And I'm sure probably the first time I came across it, I was like, huh? Who's Levi? Who's this Levi guy? There's no, there's no, there's no Levi disciple of Jesus. It's just a Matthew. And so then, you know, you ask your pastor, oh, Levi is Matthew, same guy. Oh, okay. And you just go about your day. But as I was reading it this week, I was like, no, no. No, no, the, Levi is Levi. Matthew is Matthew. This is not an accident. So which shows me again that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit because if it was humans that centuries later kind of cooked the books, they took Matthew, Mark, and Luke, got it all together, and they're like, all right, now let's make sure they all say the same thing. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, what you got? All right, you got, you got a ma tax collector, right? Tax collector named Matthew. Okay, cool. Mark, who you got? I got a tax collector named Levi. 
Let's change that. Edit that. Let's, let's put, make that Matthew, will you? Because all the rest is the same. This is how I know that it wasn't humans cooking the books. Because if humans were cooking the books, they would at least get the names right. I mean, literally, the story is exactly the same. I mean, it's precise. Word for word almost, verbatim. Mark and, and Luke's version of what Jesus says is exactly the same words. But the names, that's different. And that got me thinking, why? Why does Mark say it's Levi and Luke say it's Levi and Matthew say it's Matthew? Truth is, most scholars don't know. Uh, turns out there's been a lot of debate about this. Some people are like, well, were there two different tax collectors who were called to follow Jesus? Doesn't seem likely because these stories are so similar. And so others have said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Matthew is like his, his Jewish name and Levi is his Roman name, like the name that he gave, like the Romans gave to him. Th that's a possibility. But honestly, we don't know. One thing that I do know is that when Mark writes about disciples, he usually calls them by the name that they are at the time. For instance, when Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, he, Mark calls those people Simon and Andrew. We know them later as Peter and Andrew because Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. But Mark doesn't call him Peter, even though he is Peter right now to him as he's writing. He says, no, 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 at that point he was Simon. So personally, I kind of feel like there was something that happened whereby Matthew's name was changed from Levi to Matthew. And Matthew just stuck with his changed name because an evidence of repentance is how you see yourself. <laughs> that when God changes you, you say, no, that's actually who I was always meant to be. Everybody else saw a tax collector named Levi, but Jesus saw a tax collector named Matthew. And, and that's quite a difference. The name Levi means to be attached or to be connected to. It's the first time that you see the, the name Levi, it's in um, Genesis, it's in the Old Testament, I think it's Genesis 29, um, where uh, Levi is actually a very respected name among Jews because it's one of the 12 tribes of Israel, particularly the tribe of the Levites, which were the priests. So, you know, in many ways, I'm like, man, Levi's an awesome name. Jesus to call a guy named Levi. This is so much prophetic, uh, you know, implications here. Wow, this is awesome. But the name Levi means to be attached or to become attached to. And the way that Levi got his name was not necessarily that great because Levi is born to a woman named Leah. If you guys remember the, the story of, of Jacob, Jacob, whose name was changed, Jacob was changed to Israel, which is where the nation of Israel comes from, a man, one man named Jacob. Well, Jacob worked for seven years to marry the love of his life, Rachel, who he thought was beautiful and actually scripture says was beautiful. Like when God says you're hot, <laughs> you're hot you know that's all I'm saying like when God's like wow I did a good job right there that was a good one and that's what God says of Rachel so much so that the Jews actually in their tradition think that she was supernaturally hot and it's kind of gets a little weird like she stayed like looking 21 like forever it was kind of a strange way that the Jews interpreted it but anyway that's a whole nother that's a rabbit trail but needless to say Rachel was beautiful Jacob was smitten Jacob worked seven years to get Rachel and on the night of the wedding the father of Rachel knew that she was beautiful and that his other daughter was kind of ugly like no seriously the Bible also calls Leah kind of ugly that's in the original Hebrew. She's, she was basic. It's just, she just, you know, and, and, and <laughs> you say, well, that's mean. Well, hey, when God says, you're just, you, she's got other qualities. But this isn't it. And so the, the father knows this. And so the father, married, he switches the bride real quick and gives Leah to Jacob. Jacob marries Leah, wakes up in the morning, and he realizes, oh, my gosh, I married the wrong sister. <laughs> and so he then works another seven years to get Rachel. 14 years for one girl, which is not, you know, whatever. I mean, that's on him. I wouldn't recommend it. You know what I'm saying? There's other fish in the pond. Like, 
just, come on, man, get over it. But he doesn't get over it. He loves Rachel, loves her deeply. And so they, it's not just the looks thing. He, they are deeply connected. So 14 years he marries Rachel. Well, now he's married to Rachel and Leah at the same time. He clearly loves Rachel more than Leah. And this is a problem. One, marrying two women is a problem. I'm just saying, like, two wives, come on, somebody. This is not, this is a problem. But you have one who's very beautiful, who you loved from the beginning, and another related, oh my gosh, her sister, who is not as beautiful, who you never were attracted to. And you're stuck with her. You are like, and so Leah feels that. Leah senses that. And I love how real the scripture is. Scripture isn't like, well, she just uh, did her wifely duty. No, she's, she's burdened by the fact that she's not loved. It's a, it's a terrible thing. Man, it's, it's tough enough when you get like, 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 like in our setting, right? When you actually can look at the entire world and choose somebody that you're attracted to, you get along with, you both like the cowboys, whatever it might be, you got stuff in common and you decide together mutually, we're going to make a life together. You stand before God and a pastor and everybody and you declare your vows. It's tough enough 10 years down the line. To be like, I still choose you? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, it's that, that's tough enough. To go through kids, to go through a pandemic, to go through a job, to go through, that's hard enough. But now you have somebody who you did not choose and do not even necessarily like. Because I, I, I don't know if you guys notice this, but sisters are always different. Not just in looks, but in personality. He was attracted to Rachel. Leah annoyed him. He's like, man, there's no way I'm marrying that one. I'm marrying this one right here. And he gets stuck with them both. And the burden of one, he has to try to like her. That's tough. And then she has to try to accept love from somebody who doesn't really want to give it. And she feels that. And so she says, I need to have a baby. <laughs> so, don't copy this. This is not a good plan. But, but to Leah, this was a good. And especially in those days, if you had a son, it, it meant, one, that you would be provided for. Because after Jacob dies, that son's going to take over. And if you are his mom, you are going to get the best room in the house. You're going to get, you're going to get a lot of benefits. Now, if you're the wicked stepmother, <laughs> better look out. So oftentimes within these polygamous things, it was a race to have the first son. And so Leah has the first son. She has a son named Reuben. She names him Reuben because Reuben means behold a son. Look, everybody, a boy. Look what I did. Look, hey, aren't I worthy? Shouldn't I be loved? Look what I accomplished. Check it out. Right? Like she's shouting to everybody. His literal name is, look, a son. <laughs> Every time Jacob calls, look, there's my boy. Right? And, and it's, and it's, but it's a plea for love. She's trying to earn her love by what she does for other people. Before you judge her too harshly, how often have you done that? How often have you been like, hey, look at me. Look what I did. Look what I said. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Isn't that something? Wow, aren't I worthy now? Man, and she has Reuben, and she says, okay, this is it. I had a son. Look, check it out. But that doesn't get the love of her husband. She called him Reuben, Scripture Gen Genesis 29, 32 says, because, she says, the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. But it didn't happen. And so she had another son. This son she named Simeon. She named him Simeon because most scholars believe Simeon means um, to hear. She says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Notice the shift. One minute she's trying to please people by what she does. The next minute she says, well, that's not working, but at least God heard me. And that's a good shift, by the way. It's good to move from trying to get the approval of others to get to say, you know what? God has heard me. 
He, uh, Jacob doesn't listen to me, but God has heard me. Jacob won't talk to me, but God has heard me. Jacob won't love me, but God has heard me. And Sim Simeon didn't really bring the love of her husband either. And so when her third son was born, she, says, she said in, uh, in Genesis 29, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Her third son was Levi. And she named him Attachment. Because when we cannot find love, we settle for attachment. At least you can't get away from me now. I got three sons. You're attached. <laughs> and so the name Levi, there's, there's some good attachments. But there's some attachments that we settle for that are not good that we are clinging to that are not good. And it's interesting, Levi's name was attachment because that's exactly what he did when the Roman government came rolling in. He attached himself to people who couldn't care less about him, but at least they needed him. <laughs> and what's crazy is, I know Christians that find a merciful Jesus and they never change their name from attachment and they still live trying to follow Christ with the mentality of, as long as I'm necessary to him, then he'll love me. Perhaps, you know, I got to keep busy. I got to be serving. What, what can I do? You know, I got to do something. Why? Why do you have to do something? Don't you know he stopped by the booth? Not because of what you could do, but because of who you were. Don't you know? He's not looking, it's not the Romans. He's not looking to get something from you. He doesn't need me. The Romans need me. The world needs me. Different people pull on me because they have lack and they are missing something and they may need me. But God doesn't need me. He desires me. He invites me, not so that, he can, I, so that he can become attached to me. Instead, he invites me. And so the name Matthew is quite different from attachment. And so, so many of us probably think, oh, the opposite of attachment is just freedom. Just, 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 whoo, fairy, fairy dust and gumdrops and he wants me to run free through the fields and never go to church because I'm fellowshiping with him in the forest. <laughs> it's just me and Jesus. Okay. It's not what Matthew means. Matthew means a gift from God. A, it means God's gift. You say, well, wait a minute, hold on, what? <laughs> Matthew means a God's gift. What if, and this is just, this is, this is going to hit you sideways and you're going to have to go home and think about it for a minute. What if God's plan for you all along, what if when God stopped by the booth, your booth or the bar or wherever he found you, what if it was because he saw in you that you were God's gift to the world? Now, I know it's going to hit us sideways because we think of that as prideful. You know, some guys, some people say that guy thinks he's God's gift to women. That means he thinks so highly of himself. But the truth is, if he actually thought he was God's gift to women, he would treat them better. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so when God gives a gift to a woman, God doesn't hand out jerks. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. He doesn't, he doesn't package up and deliver jerks to ladies' doors. Please live with this self-centered, egotistical punk. It's my gift to you. It's not trick or treat. <laughs> no, when God gives a gift, it's encouraging, it's empowering, it's fulfilling, it's helpful, it's comforting, it's challenging. What if you are God's gift? You're sitting around waiting for God to give you a gift. 
and you're trying to attach yourself to various people so that you can feel valuable. But Matthew realized that he actually was God's gift. That God intended to bless and the gifts he's placed inside of you are gifts, spiritual gifts, that he's given to you for the world. The gifts he put inside of Matthew were for others. Like his attention to detail. I know in the, in the Chosen, he's kind of like on the spectrum a little bit, you know, because he's like so, he's so, so into numbers and detail. And it, absolutely he's into detail. He recorded the longest, the longest string of the words of Jesus in the entire Bible. You know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount, and so he's taking notes, obviously. Mark doesn't have a lot of notes. He's like, here's a sentence here, something he said there, yeah. But Matthew, he, he got the details. And what's interesting is Matthew's gospel, a lot of the early church fathers say that he wrote it specifically for the Jews. The people that hated him. What if you are God's gift to people who have rejected you? Even now, even after they've rejected, the giver hasn't taken back his gift. He's like, no, she's going to keep blessing them. Even as you curse her, she's going to keep blessing you. Because the gift of God is without repentance. He doesn't take it back and be like, fine, 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 fine. No, it stays there and keeps blessing. You can receive that blessing, you can reject it, you can, you can, but it's always, it keeps giving. Which is why when Matthew says, look, I'm going to write this for hmm, those people. <laughs> those people need to hear about the beauty of the mercy of Jesus. And it's not a, the gospel of Matthew is not a condemning gospel. Actually, Luke's gospel is far more harsh on the Jews. He kind of slams a lot of the religious leaders. Even Mark kind of gets after him. But Matthew says, no, 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 guys, you're invited. For real, you're invited. Yeah, because he knows what it is to be rejected and then still be invited. And so he extends that invitation. So would you just stand with me? I, I don't know. I, I, this is just how we're going to end today. I just want to pray over you that you would have a revelation that you are God's gift to the world. And it's not a pride thing. I mean, how humbling is it that God would give me? Doesn't he know all my faults? Doesn't he know my, all my imperfections? Yeah, he does. You're not perfect, but you are the perfect gift for the people that he has given you to. You are exactly what they need. And so, Father, right now, we, we just, we, even if we can't believe it, I sense that struggle right there. Yeah, Pastor Harry says it sounds good. I don't know if it's true. Lord, even if we can't believe it, this is called faith. We receive your word by faith, not by sight. <laughs> sight is where we're like, yes, I am God's gift indeed. No, faith is like, wow, I don't see it. But if this is what he is calling me to. By the way, that word call, Jesus said, I have come to call sinners. I've come to call that word call. It means to invite, but it also means to name something. I have called to rename you. No longer do you need to stay attached to the ways of this world and the thinking of this world. No longer do you need to stay attached to who you've been. I am telling you that you are my gift. Your father says you are my gift. Not to yourself. Not to make your life better and more. No, no, no. But to make other people's lives to grow the kingdom. Jesus said, you haven't chosen me, I've chosen you and have appointed you to bear much fruit. I had a plan for this gift and I was gonna drop this and deposit this gift in this part of the world at this time to bless, to encourage, to strengthen, to challenge, to build the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, this is the final step of repentance, that we understand our true, identity, our true identity, that we all along have been God's gift. He intended us to be a blessing. And when we come home to Jesus, we are finally able to give of ourselves to others.
If you're here today and you just feel like you need to come home to Jesus and you need to, like, like, like Levi, you need to leave your booth. There's some stuff you need to leave. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm stepping away from the booth today. I'm going to follow him. I'm walking away from habits. I'm walking away from ways of thinking. I'm walking away from sin. That's awesome. Yeah, his blood is enough. Would you just receive that right now? Would you just receive the blood of Jesus for your sins? That it is able to forgive and to cleanse and to wash you whiter than snow? Jesus, we thank you for your blood and we confess our sins. And your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to, to wash it, to, to forgive us and to cleanse it. And so that's what we want right now. We want for you to cleanse us. Give us a clean slate. Give us a new beginning. We choose to step away from some stuff, to lay down some things, to follow you because you're so much better. And you have so many awesome things in store for us. Man, when we live as a gift of God, it's an exciting, exciting life. We thank you, Lord, that you love the world enough to give us people around us. Show us how we can bless them. Show us how we can strengthen them. Show us how we can build the kingdom this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great week. We'll see you later.